Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers and today I'm pleased to be joined by Chris Peterson. Chris is an instructor at Technology Training Incorporated and others with over 20 years of experience as a consultant and leader in climatic testing, including HALT and HASP. Chris is also a past president of the Institute of Environmental Sciences and Technology. And she's the chair for three different IEST working groups. She's a current committee member of the Mill Standard 810 editing team. Chris has been an award-winning advocate for user-friendly specifications and teaches people how to do their testing so that the results really mean something. Chris, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Chris, in your blog, Test to Be Your Best, you've written about the things that bother you most about how testing is conducted and managed today. What are some of your biggest concerns? One of the most frustrating to me is when I'm talking with someone and will ask why they're doing something, and the answer is because we've always done it that way. It's as if they don't enjoy being able to think about something but just easily fall back into an old pattern without even knowing if it's valid. Right, right. I think there's a lot of that, um, just a lot of uh, um, repetition and habit in the world of testing. It, you know, it's really across different types of jobs, but when it comes to testing, when someone is relying on you to make sure that the results mean something, then it becomes even more of a problem. How is that? Because I have actually seen many places that are basically not testing, even though they think they're testing. They're not giving enough input to the item under test. I went to a lab one time where they proudly showed me a chamber and said, we've tested our product in here for three years and never had a single fa failure. And they were so proud of themselves. And I looked at them and I said, hmm, I wonder why that is. And then it's like it clicked. And the man looked down and kind of shuffled his foot on the floor and he said, because it's not really a test. He caught on. Wow. If you never catch a failure, chances are you aren't imparting any real stress. But they had always done it that way. <laughs> right, right. You know, testing is sometimes considered to be a cookbook activity where all you need to do is just follow a script and record the results. What do you think of that characterization? And when is it appropriate to leave the script behind? It's, it's easy to do that. A lot of people prefer cookbook testing. Turn on the oven, slide in the cookie sheet, and when the time's up, pull it back out, and you have perfect product. You can walk away from it. You don't have to think much about it. A lot of people never even think about things like sensor placement. They just follow the, the cookbook recipe. In fact, there's still controllers that, instead of calling something a program or a profile, will call it a recipe. So this has been something that's been around a long time. But that's not necessarily the best way to do testing because you may not know the reasoning behind why 
that particular set of instructions was given, and it may not even apply anymore. Right, right. I think you're right. I think a lot of tests really are just standard procedures that people are expected to follow, and it is hard for people to go off the script. It used to be when there were more testers out there, and the field is narrowing down, that a lot of them didn't have the full capabilities to understand what the real world circumstances would be. In a case like that, having someone who has done the investigation and then having them write those rules does make sense. But now the world has changed for testers. Even just simply with the internet being so easy to get on and, and to be able to find out some of your own information, it's very easy for a tester to see that something may go go through very different circumstances in its life cycle than those test steps plan for. You know, Chris, I get the feeling that people don't really want the test to fail. They are only interested in tests that pass. Have you seen that also? In a lot of cases, somebody does want something to pass just so they can ship it because that's what brings the company money. If the company's making money, they're happy with the tester. There are actually cases now where companies that are trying to cut their budget are simply getting rid of the testers and the test labs, thinking that they're saving a lot of money, never looking into the future to see that they're risking much more than they're saving. So Chris, when do you think it's appropriate to leave the script behind, I mean, to, uh, to go off script when it comes to testing, to leave the cookbook behind? Ideally, any time that some, the, the life cycle is fairly well known. The more generic something is, the more circumstances they could go through. For instance, think of something as, as simplistic as a AA battery. It could be in almost any environmental circumstances. It could be dropped. It could be uh, dropped into water. There are a lot of things that could happen to it. But as you get more sophisticated, then there are less things likely to happen during the life cycle, and it should be easier to nail those down and capture them in test. Chris, a lot of uh, people just assume that testing is part of the the testing organization, part of the quality organization, that's where it belongs. But should testing be a team sport? And if so, what I, are the obstacles that you see in that situation? I took courses on international management. And one of the issues in America, more than, than any other country, is that workers like to be the star. They aren't as good as team members culturally as a lot of other countries. Now, there are pros and cons to each, but sometimes those stars feel like they know it all. They don't feel like they need anyone else's input. That's one impediment to being a good team. But the fact is that you can learn a lot from others that you simply don't think about. I had an instance of this in the last class that I taught, and I have people choose a product that none of them actually make, and then decide what tests are most important to run on it. And so in this particular case, the students chose metal handles that would attach to the outside of a ship, and they wanted to figure out which test would be best. 
Well, only one out of the three realized that the ship could be at different heights in the water depending on the load. And so while two of the people assumed that the handles would always be above the water line, that wouldn't be true if the ship was heavily laden. And there were other issues like that where these two men that didn't understand that, they were perfectly smart. They just didn't know that could happen. And the same thing can, can come up with any product is there might just be something that you didn't think about. So the more good and valid input you can get, typically the better you're going to be able to figure out your test program. That makes a lot of sense to me. It really sounds like testers need to be involved in designing the tests as well. Would you agree? Absolutely, if it's at all possible. Now, in some companies, there is a very strict hierarchy, and there are the engineers that sit in their office and plan the test, and then there are the test techs. And in one particular company I visited not long ago, the only decision the tech was allowed to make on his own was if a bolt sheared off in the fixture, they were allowed to replace it and throw the old one away. To me, that was just shocking. <laughs> so, I mean, right. personally, I love to think, and, and I like to, to color outside the line. In, in this particular slide, what I put together, I mean, the, the rules of testing all come back to basically things you should have learned by kindergarten. You know, put your thinking cap on before you start the test. Be thankful that you're allowed to, to think. Play well with others. Make sure that other team members know that you respect them as well. Um, the reason I, I put the next one, don't run with scissors unless there's a good reason to, is because a lot of times we're taught to do things so that everything and everyone around us stays safe. If you are testing a brand new design, dare to push it to its limits. That would be the running right. with scissors. Because we don't want to baby something. I've actually seen people purposely overbuild the first design so that it will pass test and mm -hmm. then never build it that strong again. And then they wonder why there's field failures. Wow. You Another thing that's changed... Yeah, of course. Another thing that's changed a lot in the 20 plus years I've been in testing is it used to be that nobody ever shared information. I asked one company, why don't you start telling people, you know, put in, in writing, send out articles that show how many improvements you've had since you started this type of testing. And the response right. was, because then people would know that things weren't as good before. And my milk <laughs> fell open. I mean, I was bragged about being better. They were worried about admitting that they had been worse. So it depends on wow. which side of the coin you look at. That's amazing. You know, Chris, more and more companies are starting to rely on their customers to help evaluate designs and find defects. Do you see this threatening the role, the traditional role of testers in the organization? I don't see it as a threat at all. The main threats I see against testers are lack of time and lack of budget and management that doesn't understand the importance of the test organization. I 
enjoy customer input. However, there are customers that really don't quite know what they're talking about, and you have to be prepared to teach those customers in that case. Never be afraid to tell someone, no, that's an inappropriate thing to do. If the customer says you still have to do it, you may be stuck with it. But in most cases, they really want what's best. They just may not know what it is themselves. So again, teamwork. But no, it, it's no threat at all, unless somebody has a kind of ornery personality. <laughs> you know, Chris, you mentioned before the role of managers. Uh, sometimes morale is a problem among testers. What kinds of recommendations would you give to managers to help keep testers, the test team, motivated and productive? One thing is to encourage integrity. There's nothing like doing your absolute best, turning in a test report, and being told to hush something up. That's one of the quickest killers to morale I can think of, and that has happened to me. It's very frustrating. It's not always enough to get a pat on the back because that may not always seem sincere. But for management to be truly interested and to ask questions if they don't know is a, a big help. I had a general manager pull me into his office one time who was new to his post. And someone had actually shown him photos with red circles around them and had the wording next to them. He called me to his office and said, what do these mean? And I realized he didn't understand the equipment that he was building and shipping. His job was to manage, but he hadn't come up through the ranks. And that's true with most managers today. So if you can have a good conversation with a manager and watch their face during meetings to make sure that they never look confused and if they do to clarify without ever speaking down to them then there can be an excellent relationship you know I've seen testers get criticized for bringing defects uh, to the attention of the team uh, when re really they should be thanked uh, shouldn't they? In my opinion, yes, because you would much rather find it in the lab when something can still be fixed or changed. Maybe the design needs to be changed, or maybe there was just a single bad wire solder that, that is unlikely to ever happen in the next million products. But unless you know about it, you're going to have way too many surprises out in the field. I, I've seen issues where major companies have been bringing in things from vendors, and the failure rate is over 60%. So that this can be a huge issue. Right. How do, how do we help testers feel valued in the organization? What can managers do to help? Besides um, always expecting, uh, not just expecting, but allowing an integrity in them, giving them a platform to speak their mind, whether that be to an email or an inter-office memo or being able to report in front of a group, so for instance, at, at a meeting. They need to feel like when they say something, 
that it's important to others around them. It can be so frustrating to know that something is absolutely wrong and to be to not allowed to be say it. I'm sorry, to not be able to say it, to have that permission mm -hmm. right. taken away. Well, yeah. Chris, are there any other trends in testing and test management that we should be aware of? The main one of my concern is simply shutting down test labs or sending testing out. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with sending testing out if you don't have the proper equipment to do it. In such a case, send a test witness, someone to watch it. That's when it's especially important to review each test in advance, understand exactly how the test is supposed to be run. Don't just sit there with a magazine in your hand and be flipping through doing something else. Verify that sensor placement is correct. Find out the attitude of the, the tester and the test agency. So all of those are, are important. And there are specialty tests that we just can't afford to run on our own or it doesn't make sense, such as tests for fungus. It's much better to send it out to a micro, microbiologist in most cases. Sure, sure. And I think you're right. I think there are a lot of tests that require capital equipment that companies just can't afford to have on their own site. True. If it costs a million dollars for an altitude chamber, it's going to cost you a lot less to send the testing out. But I guess your point is don't just send out the test request and wait for the results to come back. Exactly, because one of the issues is what is a failure? Now that may sound perfectly simple, but I had one company that felt something was a failure when there was a tiny scratch in the paint because they felt that their customers were valuable to them and that they deserved the very best. And just having that tiny nick of paint gone, even though the unit worked perfectly well, in their mind was a failure where it might not be in someone else's mind. Sometimes the unexpected happens, and the tester has no idea if it's actually a failure or not, but needs the input of the company that hired the testing to be done. So that there are a lot of good reasons to get out there to take a personal interest. And really, that's what I would say about all of testing is take it personally. This is your name on the line, even though the public is never going to know whose name that is. Have that sense of pride, because you're the unsung hero in the background. The reason I chose this diamond was because my favorite saying is, a diamond is a piece of coal that done good under pressure. That's true of the tester themselves, because testers are put under a lot of pressure. It's also true of the product. You want to be shipping those diamonds. And if you find out it's flawed, do it at home base where you, where you can either fix it or reject it. But don't have a customer out there telling you that they had to reject it. I like it. Chris, thanks so much for your insights. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. That was Chris Peterson, author and private consultant. To hear more from Chris, follow her blog at chamber-queen.blogspot.com. This is Tim Rogers. 
thanks very much for joining us.